Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez on Zoom today with co-host Erin Keller, and we are joined by wildlife diversity biologist Mackenzie Jeffress from our eastern region. Mackenzie, it's been a while. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you back on. I was saying, I think it's been years since we've had all time just blurs together for me, but I realize it's been like maybe even three years or so. since you've been Yeah. On. When we were talking with Travel Nevada about goshawks and other species. Yep. So let's get into it. I mean, you, you cover a lot of different species in your job. Can you explain exactly what you do for Endow and how you got into it? Yeah, so as a wildlife diversity biologist, I am responsible for basically the non-game wildlife, so all the animals that are not hunted. And so that includes hawks, songbirds, woodpeckers, bats, mice, and one of my personal favorites, the American pika. Um, And so I've been working with that species for actually, counting. it's over 15 years now. Wow. And that's actually why we brought you on because you, uh, I posted a pika atlas, which we'll get into in a little bit that you had sent me for our website. And I was like, this might actually make a great podcast. So um, that's why you're here. And could you explain, well, first let's get into what a pika is just for some people might not know what a pika is. Yeah, so if you have never seen a pika, I definitely recommend Googling them because they are adorable. Um, I've seen a lot of different groups and websites say they're the cutest mammal in North America. Um, Some say next to the polar bear, Um, but they are this small mammal. Um, They are probably about the size of your fist, um, less than a half a pound. They have these rounded ears, no visible tail, kind of look like a chinchilla, Um, And they are not a rodent. It's one of the things that I always like to correct people on. They think they're like a rat or something. And they are actually in the rabbit order. So legomorpha. Um, And so they live most often like kind of classically in high elevation alpine or subalpine mountain ranges. Um, And so you'll often find them in rocky talus slopes, you know, think about like Mount Rose out by Tahoe or um, where I'm at, it's like the Ruby Mountains going to Island Lake, there's pikas there. Um, They're very vocal. So if you go and where a pika is, you might not see them, but you can hear them make their little eep calls. Um, And they are really visible. They uh, cache food in hay piles. So you'll sometimes see them carrying little flowers in their mouths in the pictures. Um, They're just a really neat species. I'll admit I try to post as many pika pictures as possible on social media and our website. And you could go to endow.org and scroll down to the what's new section. And I just posted a pika picture. (laughs) They're my go-to wildlife photo for anything that's just like a big win for wildlife today. I always use pika photos because- Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's interesting because we have our game biologists who we hear a lot from on the podcast and they are, they, we only have specific 
big game species, you can count on your hand the number of big game species we have, where with diversity, we have so many different animals. So how do you pick and choose where you put your time and energy? That has to be hard. It is tough. It's really tough. And sometimes I feel like I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And um, yeah, it's hard sometimes to feel like you're doing full justice to all the species, especially because some of these species are not well understood. Um, I've been doing like shrew work and there is like one publication on one shrew species that's one page long. And that's like the, what we know about that animal. Um, and so it is hard, um, but that's what's fun about the job too, is there are so many unknowns and so many questions we can tackle answering. Um, and yeah, it's just sometimes finding the opportunity to do the work, um, you know, where is the most concern, whatever our species of conservation priority, which pikas are, um, and trying to address objectives, um, you know, questions need to be answered one at a time for each of these species. So how did you get into, you said it was, 13 years you've been working on pika over 15, over 15. what a, 13 where'd I get that from <laughs> you're like well over that it makes me feel old but yeah no um I actually started working with pikas um with the national park service out of college um I was working for their inventory and monitoring program out of Idaho and I got sent to Craters of the Moon National Monument in southern Idaho to help start inventory work on pikas and the work really grew from there. Um, I wrote a publication with one of the other collaborators there, then ended up going to grad school doing something different. But when I finished up grad school, they said, hey, will you come back with us and help us start PICA monitoring and research across the West? And so I had a really great job for several years, helping several, I think eight or nine parks in the end um, set up PICA monitoring, and then also um, working with a bunch of different collaborators to do PICA research, do genetics work, do modeling in relation to climate change and things like that. And then after I finished up with the park service, I came on with Endow. And of course, I was like, well, how can I get my hands and do some work on PICA? And I've been doing that for 10 years um, with Endow. That's awesome. So you brought this great background to your position on pika, and you said they are a species of conservation priority. Yeah, so each um, state has a, a wildlife action plan, and so in our wildlife action plan, it is one of the species of conservation priority. It's been identified um, given its concern, the concern for the species, particularly related to um, climate change and documented declines in the Great Basin. Okay, so then um, how did this whole PICA Atlas come about then? Because that's pretty new, right? Yeah, but it's been a work in progress or a, kind of been a little project I've been wanting to tackle since I started with the agency. Um, there have been a lot of people doing PICA work in Nevada um, for a number of years, but it kind of, the work was scattered around in different places. Um, and so when we tried to look at like, where do we have pikas? It wasn't really easy to just like put that on a map. And especially where we have looked for pikas, but maybe didn't find them, that's always not always well documented. And so um, I've spent the last several years working with a variety of biologists, with Endow, with um, federal government, um, other researchers to pull the data into one place and then create maps. Um, by range as to what we know about pikas in that mountain range. So 
the PICA Atlas is this document, it's almost 200 pages, um, but is broken up by mountain range. And it summarizes that, you know, basically we have 22 mountain ranges that have PICAs. We have a number that show evidence that those PICAs um, that were there are now extirpated. And then we have, I think over 40 ranges that have been surveyed, but PICAs weren't found. Aaron, I see you down there. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I was gonna ask just a real simple question, but now I feel like I'm, I maybe should have asked it earlier, but you keep saying the word work, right? You do work or you, this PICA work, like what, what is work when you're studying a PICA? Yeah, so when I'm saying work here, it's um, mostly what we would call inventory work. So it's going out and surveying for the species. And the great thing with pikas is they're, you know, pretty obvious um, once you know what to look for, whether they're there or whether they have been there um, in the recent past. And so um, oftentimes when I go out and do these surveys, you know, especially like in the rubies or something, you can hear them, you can see them. But in other areas, particularly like lower elevation sites um, in Northwest Nevada, where it gets hotter midday and we're out doing these surveys, we're looking for their sign. And so pikas um, have these little territories and then they build these hay piles that I mentioned earlier because they don't hibernate in the winter. And so they cache their food in these hay piles that they use as a, a food source in the winter. And those hay piles are how we can determine that pikas are in the area as well as their, their scat, so their droppings. Um, it's pretty distinct. It's these perfect little peppercorn pellets. Um, and you know we use that information to tell us, is that site currently occupied by pikas? And what's really cool too, is if we don't find the obvious sign, the fresh hay piles, the fresh scat, we can actually kind of start digging through um, in these rocky areas, the soil and stuff, and looking for old pellets. And we can actually do things like radiocarbon date those old pellets to see how old that site might have been. Like if pikas are no longer there, but there's old pellets, was that 10 years ago? Was it 50 years ago? And then another neat thing is with that fresh scat, we can also um, collect that and give that to researchers. Like we're working with a university um, of California, Santa Cruz uh, to provide those pellets for genetic analysis. So they can actually determine like how connected our populations, they can even get down to the, the sex of an individual, um, that sort of thing. I can definitely see why you'd be interested in kind of learning about it. And then also it allows you a lot of time to be out in the field, right? So you get to hike and, you know, be, be out in Nevada. So. Yeah, exactly. I honestly feel like I'm a little biased towards the animals that get me into the my favorite places, which I love the mountains. And so I just love getting away from the heat and getting to the top of the mountains. And so any excuse to do that and go hike to Island Lake or Overland Lake in the Rubies or help out some of my counterparts in Central Nevada or Western Nevada, I'm all for it. So do you actually see actual pica a lot of times or is it really just the signs that you're dealing with so it depends on the site i would say most of the time on our surveys because we sur survey for them throughout the day and there's kind of a quiet time where it gets hot during the day and they just aren't very active it really is the sign and i really like using the sign as the best indicator of occupancy um, but there are places you can go like um, 
the Rubies and Tahoe and like the Rocky Mountains where when you have really dense pikas, they're just going off left and right and you'll see them. And, and so it really depends on the site. So people listening who now they're like, these things sound adorable. I want to see one. It is possible to see them. Absolutely. Yeah. Go hike the, the Mount Rose trail or come over to the rubies and hike up to, you know, either Island Lake or over Liberty Pass. And I've taken some pretty awesome pika photos right from the trail. For some reason, I picture them being so elusive. <laughs> I just they can it. be, especially in some of these hotter, lower elevation sites. Like if you don't know what you're looking for, you're probably going to walk right past occupied sites. And um, it's probably that they're lower density. And like I said, kind of warmer sites and those pikas just are hiding out in the rocks because um, that's where it's cooler. Well, I think that's a good spot to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You are listening to Nevada Wild. Oh, this is Saskatchewan, where the getting's good. If you're getting gone, I'm gonna put my boots and my hat back on, cause I'm long gone to Saskatchewan. Long gone to Saskatchewan. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are joined by wildlife diversity biologist Mackenzie Jeffress, and we're talking all about the adorable pika in the work Mackenzie and other biologists are doing to gather more information about these little animals. Um, Mackenzie, before the break, we were talking about exactly what a pika is, how cute they are. And um, we mentioned this 300 page document that you have put together with work from others um, called the Pika Atlas. Um, so Aaron brought up a good question during the break. Is this is this more for researchers or would you encourage people who are listening to check it out? I, it's really for everybody. Um, the target audience, I'll say, was kind of biologists, not only within Endow, but also um, land management agencies, other researchers, but also the general public. So like my hope would be that this document could be used to, you know, if a project's going to go on in an area, say a new mine's going to go in. Uh, you know, the BLM biologists could open it up and say, what do we know about pikas in that mountain range? Uh, if somebody wants to start a research project, they could, you know, see where there are information gaps, you know, maybe if we need to target surveys in the future, where should we target those surveys? Um, but even for the general public, um, if somebody has a favorite mountain range, and they want to know what we know about pikas in that mountain range, I encourage you to check it out and you can, there's a table of contents that lists out the mountain ranges. So you could just quickly go to that range and not have to look at the, it's not 300 pages yet, but it's a living document. So maybe in 10 years, it'll be at 300 pages. Um, but yeah, right now it's like, I think 170 something pages. I keep pulling out numbers. For no, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I totally get it. It felt like a thousand pages at one time. So yeah. And I was going to say, I reviewed it beforehand and it is, it sounds like a long document, but you don't have to actually read it all to get the information you need. It's broken up into different areas. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to mention too, that like, I mean, we tried to dive into even the old records, the stuff from like the early 1900s that E. Raymond Hall did as they were like exploring across Nevada. 
Um, we tried to pull that information in. We pulled in information, not only Nevada Department of Wildlife data, but there were some really great researchers, particularly, I wanna just highlight um, Dr. Connie Millar, um, she's retired Forest Service. Uh, Dr. Chris Ray, who's um, with the UC Boulder. Dr. Eric Beaver, who's with USGS. And then um, Dr. Jessica Castillo-Vardero, who is with UC Santa Cruz. And um, they contributed above and beyond to this effort, um, some data that is even unpublished um, because they supported it so much. And I mean, there was BLM biologists, Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, so many players that gave data um, to this effort. So it's really, you explained in the first half, all of the work that you've done in the last 15 years on um, PICA. So it's really all of that work with all of these other agencies and researchers in one spot, pretty much. Right? Yep. Yep. It put together. Yeah, exactly. All in one spot. So you don't have to go try to dig into old records and old reports. And like I said, it even summarizes where people have looked and didn't find them because that's really important stuff that I think tends to get overlooked. And then Mackenzie, so this is the, the atlas that we're talking about today is the Nevada specific map, right? Yes. Like what are your thoughts or ideas on like expanding that to the West or other states or how does that go? I would love to see something like that. Um, that would be so cool. Um, so far, the feedback I've received is a lot of people see value in this. And yeah, that would be fantastic to see other states kind of get on board or a, a kind of a West-wide effort because the species occurs you know, in several states across the West. Um, I'd also love to see this document inform long-term monitoring. So again, going back to my park service days, I helped um, develop a PICA monitoring protocol that's still being used in several national parks and then is being used in some forests. And I'd love to see that used in Nevada. And again, kind of contribute to these larger scale data sets. Um, so not only like it'd be neat to see like a West-wide atlas, but also West-wide um, monitoring following one consistent protocol and all the data in one place so we can understand not only the, the small scale stuff, how PICAs are doing in a certain range, but also how that looks in the, the big picture. I could see how something like this could snowball pretty quick if it was, like you said, you go from 170 pages to now you're looking at the West and how it could get big pretty quick. That would be my hope. I want to see more and more data. I hope this inspires us for the next version because it's supposed to be revised every five years. I would love it if it was 300 pages. So I'm sitting here kind of, I feel starstruck almost because I feel like you're kind of a big deal. You created oh, this no. monitoring <laughs> protocol that the whole West could be following. Who knows? Again, with a lot of other collaborators. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's what a lot of us biologists, that's what gives us the energy to do this work is seeing, seeing the value in these type of efforts and, and seeing the outcomes. And sometimes it takes not one, two, five, or even 10 years, like this document was 10 years in the making. Um, sometimes it takes an entire career to, to see that pay off. It's really cool. I'm glad, I love getting someone like you on because we do have all of these little mammals in Nevada, all of these little animals, not even just mammals in there. It's just good to know that someone is doing the work. Someone is looking out for these species that a lot of people don't even think about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like even this summer, I've got crew, a crew that I'm collaborating with the BLM on, um, and they're out right now trying to catch uh, kangaroo mice as well as shrews, which we have like, I think it was seven or eight shrew species that they have the potential to encounter. So. Very cool. Yeah, yeah it is then, cool. I think, um, I think that every time we have uh, diversity biologists on, it's always very positive and the message is always very, um, very eye-opening to Ashley and I, as far as like, there's people that we have great people out doing great work and um, I don't know, it's just, it's very interesting to hear about these animals too. Well, we love talking about them. So anytime, yeah. Yes, stay tuned listeners. Mackenzie's coming on again in a few months <laughs> with another biologist talking about bats. So I'm just gonna- Yeah, talk about some of our bat acoustic work, so. Yeah, so now we have to do that podcast because we're- We do, <laughs> yeah, we're on the hook. Um, Mackenzie, for people listening who are excited about hearing about all this work and they want to help, is there ways that the general public could help? We always talk about citizen science. So yeah, I mean, if you're out hiking around and you believe you saw a pika, you could submit those observations to us um, uh, through one of the, the endow emails on our website. Um, you could also submit them to iNaturalist. I tend to check iNaturalist pretty often for those type of observations. And that's an app you can download to your phone and not just pikas, but any interesting wildlife observations. You can put those on iNaturalist and post photos and the location. Um, and then there are opportunities to actually participate in surveys. It's not for the faint of heart, this country is rugged and sometimes pretty inaccessible. Um, you know, sometimes it's multi-day backpacking trips to get to some of these pika sites or four hours on a rough road on an ATV, but there are opportunities to, um, you know, get out and collect this data. We do um, several trainings a year to get people comfortable with what to look for. Like I said, um, not just seeing or hearing a pika, Sometimes people like see a pack rat and they think it's a pika or they hear a bird and they think it's a pika, um, but also looking for that sign and how to distinguish, say, a pika hay pile from a pack rat midden. Um, and so we, we do have some materials on training people for that. And I just encourage anybody that wants to, I guess, reach out to our um, outreach coordinators um, through the website and they can put you in touch with us. Exactly. And we do have, um, you could even, I think we even have a ask a biologist tab. If you go to frequently asked questions, there we go. it sends an email straight to our front desk staff and then they get it to the right person. And I'm Perfect. sure if something came in and said pika, it would go right to Mackenzie or one of our other wildlife diversity biologists. So, and then, oh, Aaron. I'm wondering if I, uh, if I'm seeing pika, hay piles or packer. So I got to go, go read up and make sure. Yeah, check it out. And then usually if it's a pika hay pile, you'll find those perfect pellets, those perfect peppercorns that are all round where pack rats are kind of, they look like more like Mike and Ike's. Uh, so yeah, you become a scatologist pretty quick. <laughs> pika have the cutest scat out of all of them. They do. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest, we end up like doing a lot with it. We, like I said, collect it for genetic analyses. We pick it up and we squish it to see how moist it is to determine if it's fresh or old. So we get our hands dirty. <laughs> it's important. Very important to your work. 
Um, and then I did just want to highlight, we got, we launched a new website at very end of last year. So it's still pretty new and there's a whole living with wildlife section. So you can learn about all of the different wildlife species. And there is a page dedicated to pika and we have some fun facts. You can see their range on there and we will be by the time this podcast is posted, the pika atlas will be on there. So everyone feel free to check that out to learn about pika and all the different species. Um, Mackenzie, before we go, any other partners you want to highlight or anything else PICA related? We have a couple minutes here um, that you want to talk about. Um, I, I mean, I think we hit a lot of the key stuff I wanted to highlight, um, but I like a few little fun facts, I guess, about PICAs. We love fun facts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, well, I should come up with a few of those. Um, so they have like different, I don't think the right, dialects is the right word but they, they sound, there's geographic variations. So the pikas that when they call here in the rubies sound quite different than the pikas say in Tahoe or central Nevada or in the Rockies. So it's really crazy for me getting to travel around to hear, like they sound quite different. So like I said, I don't know if dialects is the right word, but maybe it is. Um, and then too, like pikas are almost um, camouflaged geographically to the rocks they live in. And so, um, Usually like if it's lighter rock, the pikas will tend to be lighter. Um, when I was working at Craters of the Moon, the pikas tend to be much darker and they'd actually be more melanistic, like almost black at times. So I thought that was really fascinating that they've you know, evolved these, these local adaptations. Um, and then there are a lot of different call types. I think it was like over 20 different um, calls and songs that pikas can emit that have different meanings, like a breeding song versus an alarm call. And so I found that, I find that stuff really fascinating. What do they sound like? Are they like birds or, um, it's kind of like, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to do it, but so I, I'll just say it's like a, a nasally, often nasally, like a squeaky toy, like a dog squeak toy, kind of like a little, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, it is different in each area. Um, but it's, I feel like different than a bird, you know, it's something different if you're, you're listening hard enough. Yeah. Okay. I liked your impersonation. That was good. <laughs> it's my, uh, my, when I ever, I get a text message, everybody in my office has to hear a pica. So you get I, used I'm to I'm going to look quick. that up. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want a pica text message. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Um, Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us. It's always great to have you. And I cannot wait to have you and Michael West on to talk about bats. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Of course. Thank you everyone for listening. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.